0: Can New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. And again, let me let me reiterate something that James said earlier. Uh the, the men's retreat, guys, I want to invite you. I'm looking forward to being there, hanging out with the guys. And I think it's pretty cool as someone has given us a scholarship for for six guys, a hundred bucks for six guys, and if that makes a difference for you, then please on the way out sign up, get involved. It's going to be great. AJ Swoboda is going to be our primary speaker, and I've asked both my sons to come, and and I'm thinking one should come because AJ's his pastor. Wouldn't you think that makes sense? So he needs to come. He needs to come and support his pastor, and then be with his dad. And so we, we're talking about that. I'm excited. I'm excited for the the, uh, the men's retreat. And so let me encourage you guys, be part of that, sign up, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Well, depending on how you grew up and what you were taught, you're going to have some pretty, pretty preconceived ideas about the heart, the character and the nature of God. And today in the conclusion of our series "Breaking Free," The Apostle Paul is going to challenge us about the heart of God. He's going to challenge us about what the real and true love of God looks like in our lives. It may be hard for some of you to hear. This may be difficult for some of you, maybe because of your present circumstances. You're, you're facing a difficult time right now and you're thinking, how, how can God really love me in the condition I'm in? I mean, does, does, does he really care? Some others may struggle with this word because of the way that you were taught growing up about God. Maybe you have imagined God, maybe it's been told to you about God, that God is this great judge that sits on a throne and doesn't really care about you. And maybe that's what you're, you're thinking or what you think about when you think about God. But Paul's going to show us God's love, and this is what I hope. I hope we're going to understand it and see it in a whole new way by the time we finish today. And so what I want you to do is do this with me. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 31 through 39. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. It'll be on the overhead. There are Bibles around this building, and so if you can grab something, look at this, just follow along in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every time I read that, I want to say amen. 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 Because this is so true about how God sees us and how he cares for us. And so Paul, he writes this, and can you feel his sense of urgency as he, he's desperate to, to help us understand more completely the love of God? Because if we can understand the love of God, it's a game changer. It changes everything in our life, but, but it's difficult. It's difficult for us to understand the love of God and to understand love because the word love is really and honestly, in our culture, it's been polluted. And it's, been, it's been cheapened. I mean, think about the way we use the word love. The other day I heard someone say, I love Starbucks coffee. And I heard someone else say, I love Dutch Brothers coffee. And this kind of went on for a little while and you can say that. Some say, well, I love my new shoes. Or I love my new car. A child may say, I love Jell-O and Jesus in the same sentence. I mean, the word love has has really been cheapened. We use the word to describe so many things, but here's what's interesting as Paul writes to us about the love of God. He has a number of different words he can choose in the Greek for the word love. And he can draw off a few, and, and he could have chosen a few of these words. He could have chosen the word eros. The word eros is a love that is based on feeling and emotion. It's kind of the, the kind of love that we celebrate on Valentine's Day. It's a, it's a romantic kind of love. It's a sensual kind of love. But we also know that that kind of love can run dry at times. And you've heard people say, well, we've just fallen out of love. Then what was that love based on? It probably was based on eros. It was a passion, that kind of love. He could have chosen the word philea. Athleah is a, it's a great word, a love that's based on mutual benefit and commonality. Um, it, it's, a, it's really to describe a brotherly love or a sisterly kind of love. But that has its limits as well. It's, it's a good kind of love. But it, but it has some limits because even in those relationships, you, you might be in a relationship with someone and, and, and it's a friendship, but, but because they aren't doing this for you or that for you any longer, that, that love will, will grow cold. And then there's another word. It's the word agape, a love that is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional kind of love. And so in this passage, which word do you think the Apostle Paul chose? to communicate the love of God to us. He chose the word agape love. It's an unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. Paul uses the same word that we see in John 3:16, for God so loved the world. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And when he's conveying the love of God, he is saying this is selfless, this is sacrificial, this is unconditional. It's a love that loves. The problem that we have is belief. It's faith. It's hard for us to accept this kind of love. And the problem isn't that God doesn't love us unconditionally. The problem is that we don't see it. We don't receive it. We don't believe it. And because we don't believe it, we're not changed by it. It doesn't transform our lives because the issue really is believing and accepting the fact that God loves us unconditionally. That he, he loves us sacrificially. One of the realities is that most of us have never experienced this kind of love in our relationships here on earth. Very few of us have experienced this kind of love because when you think about it, why do the people in your life love you? I don't mean to be depressing here. <laughs> I don't mean to blow up your valentines at all. But, but you have to look at this and ask the question, why do these people love me? Chances are the ones in our lives that love us, they love us because. I, I, I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's, it's just kind of how we're wired. I love you because. I love you because of this, or I love you because of that. The 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 love they they love you because you're cute. They love you because you're funny, because you're rich, because you're smart. Maybe they love you because you're part of their family and they have no choice but to love you. You know, I, I went yesterday to buy a, a, a net a, a Valentine's card. I was a little late, but I went to buy a Valentine's card and and I went through the the Hallmark selection of cards and. And I pulled a few of those cards out, and I started to read them, and uh, they were really sweet. I mean, they were they were good. You you would read through those th- those Valentine's cards, but I, but I understood, and there was something underlying there. The, the because was still there. It sounded sweet. I love you because of the way you make me feel. I, I love you because of all the things you do for me. Do do you see the because here? That there's connections, there's, there, there, there's, there's strings attached. And there can be a lot of pressure in relationships because of the because. What if the because stops? <laughs> well, what if someone loves you because you're beautiful? I mean, that, that works for a while. But as time goes on, that may fade away. It may fade away. What if someone loves you because you're funny? I mean, they meet you, and, and, and you're so funny, and you have a great sense of humor, and they think, man, I'm gonna, I love this person. I'm going to marry them because they're so funny, and then after you marry them, the, they're just annoying. I mean, it just, <laughs> all the funny goes away. What happens if someone loves you because you're successful, and then you fail? What happens when the because changes, and it will change? What we're finding with the love of God is that love in its purest form has no because. God loves you, period. And I want to say that again. God loves you, period. And that's hard for us at times. It's hard for us to accept. It's hard for us to believe because we're in relationships where there are a lot of becauses. But he loves you, period. And that is so freeing, but so hard for us to accept. We want to think there is something that we can do to control his love, to earn his love, to deserve his love. But there is no, absolutely no because. And if, and if you insist on having a because, then, then put it this way. God loves you because he loves you. God loves you because he loves you. Some of you really, I think, need to hear this because your preconception of God is not agape. It's not unconditional. You grew up being taught that God would love you more if you did something or if you didn't do something. Some of you might be here right now because you think God is going to love you more because you came to church. You might think that God loves you more if you put 10% of your income in the offering bag. Listen, God doesn't love us that way. He doesn't love us that way. And that's hard for us because we have been exposed to a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And maybe the way that people have have communicated God to you, maybe the way they've talked about God to you, whether it's been in a home or in a church, and and all you see there, all you feel there is, is guilt and shame. God doesn't love you more if you've never been addicted to drugs. God doesn't love you more if you never slept around. God doesn't love you more if you've never had an abortion. He doesn't love you more than people who have experienced all these things. He doesn't love you more because you're dressed modestly, because you live humbly, because you scored the most points on your team, because you sung a solo, because you're a great leader. These are things that do not determine God's love for you. So here's the reality. It's all, it's all level in here. This is a level playing field. There's not one person in this room right now who has done something to make God love him or her more than somebody else. This is not how the love of God works. He loves you because he loves you. And I don't know if, I don't know if you haven't heard that in a while, you know, just hearing the fact that, that, that God loves me and then even saying it, saying that he, he loves me because he loves me. And so for those that haven't said that or heard that in a while, just repeat it after me. He loves me because he loves me. Say it again. He loves me because he loves me. Something happens happens in our heart when we recognize we have a God who loves us with no strings attached. The Apostle Paul wants us to know the freeing power of God's love. And so in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now look at that phrase again, that that, that question, who can be against us? Now, when I look at that question, I, I can make up a list. There There are things and people that may be against me. Maybe it's my health that's against me or it's your kids that are against you, or your boss is against you, or your finances are are against you. I mean, you you can make a list if you want to. You can write a list down and say, here is all the things that are against me. You make a list, but Paul says this, that if God is for us, then who or what can be against us? But he begins with, what shall we say in response to this? And so he's pointing back to what we studied a few weeks ago. He's actually pointing back to verse 28 in Romans chapter 8 where it says, In all things God works together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So if God works all things together for good, what shall we say in response to this? We say, nothing can be against us because God is for us. Nothing. In other words, when things come against us, what does God do? He he takes those things that come against us, and and it's almost like he rewraps them because he's a redeeming God. And what he does is he receives it, and he makes it into something for your good. Don't you just love that phrase, God is for us? I mean, when I hear that, uh, there's something that that, that that is strengthened in me. There's a confidence, a Holy Spirit confidence that comes that wasn't there before. And if we woke up tomorrow and somehow believe that, that God is for you, that has the power to absolutely change everything in your life. It has the power to change the way that you see God. It has the power to change the way that you see others. It has the power to change the way that you see yourself. That He is a God who is for us. And then verse 32, it says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. It's it's an interesting statement. It's an interesting phrase because it points back to the Old Testament. It actually points back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. It goes right back to that statement. This is the exact wording to describe what Abraham did for God by offering his son Isaac. It's the place where God said, Abraham, raise up, rise up early in the morning and take your son, your only son, and go to the place that I will show you. And the Bible says that's exactly what Abraham did. He took his only son. Imagine that. He took his only son and he went out to this place. And in his heart, he was going to sacrifice him because he understood the love of God. He understood his loyalty to God and how much God loved him. And, and this, was, this was really testing that. It's amazing because Paul uses the same language from Genesis 22, which his readers in that day, in the first century, would have certainly made that connection. When they, when they heard that wording, they would have automatically gone back to Genesis twenty-two twelve. They would have thought that this is the same language, it's the same words. Paul is saying, this is what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. William Barclay puts it this way. He says, it's as if Paul is saying, think of the greatest human example in the world of a man's loyalty to God, and God's loyalty to you is just like that. You see, when we think about that story where Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, we, we say, and maybe you read it for the first time, you've said, this is, this is insane. I mean, I'm a mother, I'm a father, and this is just crazy stuff. I mean, that this this would happen, that God w- w- would, would would do something like this. But what you need to know is, is something amazing is happening. Paul says that's exactly what God did for you. What Paul does in verse 32 is he argues from the greater to the lesser. If you, if you can listen to that, hear that. If he didn't spare his own son then doesn't it follow that He's going to give us graciously whatever it is we need? Is there anything more valuable to God than His Son? No. No, there's nothing more valuable. So so when it came down to it, was He willing to give what was most valuable? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. So if he's willing to give what is most valuable, then doesn't it make sense that we can trust him with all the other stuff in our lives? I mean, all the other things that that we face, you know, the things that all of us deal with, even when we don't understand it. Even when things don't seem to be going our way. (laughs) Uh, When the ebbs and flows of life come and and you're pretty much down on yourself and the whole world and, and... and you can understand and know that even in all of that, God loves us? Paul is making it clear to you that God's love for you was proven. That it was determined by what happened on the cross. That That's where he's pointing us. John Stott said, the cross is a guarantee of the continuing, unfailing generosity of God. That the cross determines His love for us and it determines our value to Him. I um I love hanging out with Annette when she goes to places uh, where she negotiates. She is a pretty good negotiator. I'm not. I'm I'm not one of those kind of guys. And and I just love to hear her t- uh, d- just try to negotiate with folks. And and every now and again we'll have some garage sales. And she is a good steward of our of our of our things of our home. She just really takes good care of it. And so when she puts things for sale, uh, you know, in a garage sale. Um, you, you know, the value it can, can be there. And, um, and when she negotiates with somebody, what they offer her, she does not embrace. She does not celebrate that offering. <laughs> and so what happens is she negotiates to get the most value back from what she's selling. And isn't it interesting that when we're selling something, we factor in very little depreciation? But when we're buying something, we want to factor in the greatest amount of depreciation. So here's the bottom line. Something is worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. That's how you determine value. I mean, that's how you determine value. So what's that mean to me? It means that God's love for you, your value, your worth to him was forever defined at the cross. Forever. Listen, if you were to measure how much God loves you, don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your condition. You want a place to look? Look at the cross. That, that's where your value is Determined. It's not your circumstances or your present condition that has determined God's love for you. It's his son's death at the cross. Verse 33 says this, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who makes us right. In Revelation 12.10, Satan is called the accuser. And it goes on a little further and says he is the accuser of God's children he'll accuse god's children day and night and i think that he might be doing that to some of you here right now that he's just accusing you he's trying to discourage you by making you think that you are not worthy of god's love well truth is we aren't that that's the point that's the point of of romans chapter 8 in this section this passage it's not that you've earned god's love or you're worthy of God's love, is that God is the one who justifies through the atoning work of Jesus Christ that was done on the cross to make you right, to make you righteous before God. And then you look at verse 34. It says, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus died, he rose again, and it says here that he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. What does that look like? Well, there's another place in the Bible, in Scripture, it's 1 John 2, 1, that describes it well for us. It says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have one who speaks with the Father in our defense. Who is it? It's Jesus. Do you think anyone will dare bring accusation, bring condemnation, bring anything against you when your defense attorney is Jesus Christ? Here's what we can play out in our own minds. Just imagine yourself walking into a courtroom. You're as guilty as sin. I mean, you are. You know the accusations that you may hear are all true, but you've confessed to those. You've said they're all true, and, and the judge walks in, and the judge is God, and he has your file. That's kind of heavy. You know, he gets your file, and he plops it up in front of him, and, and you rise. You stand to hear the charges. Your defense attorney arises with you. It's Jesus. And God says, on the charges of losing your temper and smacking the wall with your hand, and Jesus says, I paid for that one. The judge goes down the list, and he says, on the charges of cheating on the test, your defense attorney says, I paid for that one. On the charges of gossip and lying, and Jesus says, I paid for that one. And all the other accusations, all the other charges that come against you. Jesus is standing next to you as your defense attorney. And every time something's said or read, he says, I paid for that one. says here that he speaks on our behalf, that he intercedes for you. He is your atoning sacrifice. He says, I paid for that one. And because of that, we have verses 35 through 39. It says, Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? I mean, if he's paid for it, if he's your defense attorney, if, he, if he's standing with you, then who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear what's happening here? That he's saying God's love for you is not determined by the circumstances that you're now in. It's not determined by how you even see yourself right now. Conditions and circumstances are not how you determine God's love for you. The cross is how you determine God's love for you. That is your victory. That is your freedom. Is It's His cross. I want you to look at verse 37 and, and listen to what it says here. It says... No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I don't know about you, but do you see something that seems off there? A word? Anyone want to guess what it is? Loved. Now, to me, I hear the word loved, and that sends up a lot of red flags. I mean, yesterday, Valentine's Day, if I would have gone to my wife and said, Honey, I loved you. That's... That's really not going to cut it. That's not going to make it. It really won't. And yet, it's used here. And for you Greek scholars, it's an eros verb. And let me tell you what that means. It's past tense. That's what it means. It's a past tense. But this verb is pointing us to something specific that happened in the past. It's not a general statement of the past. It's pointing to a particular event that took place. That in itself, you do not add to that event. You do not take away from that event. In that event, that event is perfect the way it is. It's the perfect tense. When Paul says, through him who loved us, he's pointing you to something specific. He's pointing us to the cross. He's saying, if you want to know how much God loves you, if you really want to know that and understand that, let me point you to a place in time, an event that was perfect, that it stands alone, and there's no other event like that, and it was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how he demonstrated his love for you. And you can connect that word love to another word that Jesus spoke on the cross. His last words were the words, it is finished. In the Greek, it's one word. It's the word teleos. Guess what? It is in perfect tense. It is perfect in the way. It's an eros verb. Paul is connecting the two. And Jesus said, it is finished, it is perfect. There is nothing you can do to add or take away. There's nothing you can do to deserve this. There's nothing you can do to earn your way here. It is perfect. It is finished. It is complete. The atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross is the demonstration of God's love for you. He's pointing us to the cross And there is the victory for us because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's your victory. That's your freedom. And I know for for a lot of us, we we struggle with this. It's hard for us to accept that, to believe that. And and I I really think this, I, I think that this comes really by the way of the power of God's Holy Spirit. It's, it's inviting that love in your life and say, Lord, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it all together. But, but help me believe. It's the same thing that in Mark chapter 9 in the Gospels, where a father brought his demon possessed son to Jesus and he said, Would you heal my son? Would you help me? Can you do anything? And Jesus looked at him and said, Do you believe? And you know what he said? He had such an honest answer. I think it's the way we should answer today. He says, I do believe. But help me with my unbelief. And what I pray for all of us here is that the lens in which you see the love of God can be very tarnished with unbelief. And that you would just say, Lord, come and clean my lens. I mean, I can just see Jesus just wiping the lens, your perspective. He's cleaning it from the tarnish of unbelief. We say, Lord, we, we believe. We believe. And here's, here's how I want us to respond today because the love of God, you, you, you have to have a response to that. You have to be changed by that. And it's really with our praise and worship. You know, it's one of the, the purest ways, the purest forms to respond to the love of God in your life. To be able to say, God, this is, this is what you've done for me and I worship you. And I'm asking you to worship God, not based on your circumstances today. Not based on your feeling because you, you may have come in here and said, you know, I just really, I just really don't feel like it today. Today really stinks. Yeah, oh, my circumstances are so bad. See, th- this is what worship is about. Worship is about rising above that to a God who has no conditions attached to you, no becauses. And he just says, I love you because I love you. And that we would worship him that way. And say, "Lord, we worship you. We worship you because you love us." And there are no becauses in the way that you love us. A love that he's demonstrated on the cross. Let's pray together. And I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And Lord, um, today we, we come to you and we're, we're broken. We're uh, We're weak. And Lord, what, what we want your spirit to make clear to us today is that your love for us is, is perfect. That when we determine your love, we're not to determine that by our own circumstances, our own condition, because that really goes up and down in life. That we're to determine your love by the cross that you have given us a place in time that we can go back to and we can say here, right here, is the perfect demonstration of your love for us. And so, Lord, we take some time now. We set some moments aside to rise above the condition we're in, to rise above the feelings that we have and to be able to say, Lord, thank you for loving us. And when we believe that he truly loves us, agape loves us, it absolutely changes our lives. It changes the way we see you, God. It changes the way that we see others. It changes the way that we see ourselves. So today, thank you for that love. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, Amen.